Well, praise the Lord. Sweet, precious name of Jesus. Mm. Turn, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. As we continue our series this Christmas, Christmas in a Mixed-Up World. I want to think this morning on the topic of following Jesus is not for sissies. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. There are a lot of people today who just lack the resolve to follow Jesus. They'd like to, but to follow him means going all out. And they just, they don't have the motivation to do it. And uh, we'll see that this morning. Matthew chapter 1. We left off with verse 17 last Sunday, so we'll start verse 18. If you would stand, honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, thank you this morning. How we are so unworthy to even call upon that precious name of Jesus. But we're so thankful for your mercy and grace. We're thankful for your complete devotion to us in dying on the cross and uh, not stopping short of the perfect plan of salvation. And I ask you this morning, Holy Spirit, make yourself at home in this place. Talk to any of us. Speak to us. And, oh, God, may we be obedient to answer your call, whatever it might be. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I think I've been surrounded by a lot of those people. I'm one of them myself that like to follow Jesus when it's easy, when it's convenient, when it it's naturally fits within our lifestyle. But when you start talking about swimming upstream, you start talking about standing up for things that no one else is standing up for, uh, that's kind of when we putter out. It's kind of when we fall behind. To actually follow Jesus is difficult. There's a, there's a great irony in the Christian life. The irony is uh, that following Jesus leads us to a life of the most joy that anybody could ever experience. But in the midst of having the most joy that anybody could ever experience, it leads us to be the most difficult sought-after life on the face of the earth. John 10.10 10 tells us, that Jesus gives us life and life more abundantly. 
Psalm 1611 tells us God in his presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 8410 tells us that it's better is one day in God's presence than 10,000 anywhere else. But Matthew 16 tells us that if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to take up our cross and follow him. I don't know what kind of image that gives you, but in the ancient world, it was not a very pleasant one. There was one thing you could be sure of. When you saw someone carrying a cross out of town, there's one thing you could be sure of. They ain't coming back. They're dying. They're dead. They're not coming back. Now, I know today, and I'm not knocking this, uh, we wear crosses with jewelry and we wear crosses with diamonds and gold and silver and all that stuff. But you wouldn't have done that in the ancient days. Nobody run to have a cross tattooed on the side of their head, I guarantee you, in that day. It would have been like you going into somebody's house today and you go into the baby's room and hanging over the baby's bed there is a hang noose. You say, well, what kind of family is this? And then you, you, you go into the dining room and there's a big picture of an electric chair there. You think, well, I'm not going to eat dinner with this bunch, I guarantee you. And I'm sure not going to let my kid come over here and have a play date with them. I mean, that's out of the question. In those days, normal, nice people didn't get a cross anywhere around them. Now, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. If the resurrection is not true, then the followers of Jesus are people that ought to be pitied the most in this world because their lives are characterized by a cross. You see, for Paul, following Jesus meant suffering. It meant sacrifice. It meant persecution. It meant living with unanswered questions. There were a lot of questions that Paul had that he never got answered. We don't like that today. We want to know, what, what's this going to cost? How am I going to be involved in this? How long is this going to be? We want to know all the answers. But Paul says, if I get to the end of my life and it's all a hoax. Oh, well, it was still a great abundant life. He, he said, I'm not going to say that. I hear people tell all the time, well, even if your Christian life, if it's not true, at least it was a good life. Paul didn't have that idea. Paul said, if I get to my life end and I find out that the resurrection is not true, I'm the most miserable, pitied person on the face of the earth. You see, our whole Christian faith is built upon the fact that the resurrection is true that Jesus is still alive today. I, I say, uh, Matthew, is what you see here in Matthew uh, 1 and 2, how difficult it is to follow Jesus. And how did the first century Christians find the motivation to do it? Now, everybody in this room will admit we ought to follow Jesus, but how in the world do we have the motivation to do it? Well, I want to look at that. Uh, first of all, you see here that there's a betrothal. It's a Jewish custom there. A young man and his fiancée would get legally married, uh, but there was a year's waiting period where there was no relationship between them. Now, you say, well, that don't make a lot of sense. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I'm just telling you this was a Jewish custom. You got married. You were legally married. If you wanted to get a divorce, you had to literally get a divorce from the betrothal period. Now, there's a reason for that. Number one, the mama and daddy got to choose who's the wife for the son's going to be. Amen? I, I, I tell you, I, I love the, the women that my sons have chosen. Amen? I would have chosen the same ones. 
I love them. But that's not always the case. Now, the reason you had the betrothal period is because you, it cost a lot of money for that guy who had the son to buy that wife in order to come over and marry that son. And they wanted to make sure that that girl that they were purchasing or they had set up to be the fiancé was not impure. So you waited a year to find out. Now, weddings have never been a cash-positive flow. Amen? <laughs> if you've had anything to do with them, you know that they're very expensive. Uh, but Joseph, for whatever it was, uh, imagine the humiliation and the pain, uh, what it must have been like to hear from the, the fiancé that you so loved, to hear her say, I, I'm, I'm pregnant. Mm. And then she has audacity to tell her that it's the Holy Ghost that got her pregnant. And I mean, Joseph said, I'm sure he left a unicorn there for you as a souvenir. You know, I, you know. I, but the Bible says as he considered those things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And I, I mean, I, I wonder, why did God do it this way? He ruined their reputations. I mean, both of them. The angel didn't show up and explain the situation to nobody else. He didn't show up and explain it to the mama or the daddy. Can you imagine? Now, we, don't know, we know the New Testament now is written, but it wasn't written for another 30 to 40 years after all this takes place. I mean, can you imagine getting out the yearbook? And, and so, there's old Mary. Boy, nobody knew she had a dark side, but there she is. She's showing. I'm telling you, we didn't know she had a dark side. See, they don't know any of that. Literally ruined their reputation and literally... And from that point on, everybody thought Mary was an impure girl. And they even have to come up later on and, and uh, uh, have to leave town. Now, listen, don't, don't think that Mary, just because she lived 2,000 years ago, doesn't have the dream of every young woman to have a storybook wedding and Daddy Walker down the aisle and all of that. None, none of that happens. They'd have to leave their homeland. And you get to asking yourself, is this the abundant life you were talking about, Lord? I mean, is this really abundant? Why did God do it that way? Well, let me give you four elements here, and then I want to just look at, at what gives us the motivation to follow in the Lord. The four elements of what following Jesus looks like. Number one is this. There's got to be trust and absolute obedience. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's got to be trust and absolute obedience. I mean, there can be no matter. Joseph had to believe the impossible, and he had to risk everything on it. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to do the same thing. There's nobody in this room seen the Lord. We haven't put our hands on him as Thomas had an opportunity to do. We've not seen You're going to have to believe the impossible in order to fully be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't do that because of your preference. You do that because you know that he rose from the dead that he is alive today. I think of all, Becky and I were, it's been a year and a half or so ago, we were at a, a missions banquet, and we were sitting there with a young couple around the table, and nice-looking young man, and, and his wife was a beautiful young girl. They had a little baby, but wasn't a year old. And uh, he was being uh, commissioned as a missionary. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, this good-looking couple, they're probably going down to Panama City to work in the beach ministry or over to San Diego or, you know. And I said, where, where are you all going? We got talking. And he said, we're going to Libya. 
going to go share our faith with Muslims. And in the back of my mind, I thought, you are got to be crazy. Huh? You're going to carry this good-looking woman and this baby to Libya? And I mean, it wasn't just but a moment, and God said, who do you think you are? Are you more special than that? You think I can't call you? And I had to stop and thank the Lord that I get to live in America and I get to pastor a great church and I get to drive a car and I have air conditioning and and heat. We fight about it all the time. I go to bed and set it on 68. I wake up, it's set on 74 and I'm sweating. And I'm, But thank God for it, amen? You know? What makes us so, I can't count on my hands a number of times in my ministry that some young person has come and said, God called me to be a missionary. God called me to be a staff member. And behind the scenes, here's a parent saying, you don't want to do that. Well, you can't make a living doing that. You'll be broke the rest of your life. We'll never get to see you on Sunday because you'll be preaching somewhere or singing somewhere. You don't want to do that. I can't tell you the number of parents that I've seen talk their children out of the will of God. Folk, I want to tell you, you, you're going to have to be obedient and absolute obedient and trust if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's got to be totally trust and obedience. Let me give you the second thing. Uh, Because anything else you do is just really being religious and playing games. And we're good at that. The second thing there is, there's got to be an acceptance of a sentence of death if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know what I'm preaching is not going to build churches. <laughs> you're not sitting here if you're busy and saying, well, that's the kind of prayer I want to be a part of. No. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to accept that you're dead. And everything around you has got to be dead too. Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy put her under a literal death sentence under Jewish law. And then beyond that, Mary and Joseph had to die to their good name, their cherished dreams, their families, their homeland. God's going to direct some of you to do that same thing. You've literally got to die to yourself. And you're going to have to choose, do I obey God or do I please men? John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress, many of y'all have read that, he spent many years in prison preaching the gospel. That's all he was in there for because he was preaching the gospel. And he wrote this, The parting with my wife and poor children have oft been to me in this place as a pulling flesh from my bones. I've often brought to my mind the many hardships and miseries and wants that my poor family has had to meet with, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. If ever I would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death upon everything that can properly be called a thing in this life, even to myself, my wife, my children, my health, my enjoyments, All is dead to myself. Wow. I'm not telling you I'm there. I'm not. But I'm telling you, if we're going to be totally obedient to Christ, we've got to pronounce a sentence of death over the thing. You see, I hear people say sometimes, well, uh, these are the three things that mean the most to me in life. You're lying. There are not three things. There's one thing that means the most to you in life, and everything else falls under that category. And I'm telling you what he's saying here. 
What we're seeing in this Christmas story is Jesus must be the one thing that means everything to us. And all these other things, as Matthew 6.33 says, will be added unto us as needed. Well, Luke puts it like this. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Mm. It's hard to to talk about a church like that. And then thirdly, self-denial. Verse 25 tells us that Joseph didn't know Mary or didn't have sex with her until after the birth of Jesus. You see, not only did he wait for the one-year betrothal period, but he also waited until after Jesus was born. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, following Jesus means denying yourself of some things you might otherwise enjoy. Mm. If, If my kids had their way when they were growing up, and my grandkids would be the same way today. If they had their way, along about 9 o'clock every night, they'd have a little party with Snicker bars, Milky Ways, and they'd chase it down with one or two drinks. It would either be Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew. You know why they don't do that? Because I tell them, no, it's not good for them. It's not good for them. But could I make a confession to you today? I'm not talking to any of y'all. I'm just talking about myself. It is far easier for me to tell my children no than it is for me to tell myself no. You're going to follow Jesus. There are some things that you say, well, I've got a right to that. Oh, yeah, you've got a right to it. But you see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're dead. You're going to have to deny yourself if you're going to follow Jesus. You say, well, I didn't want to do it that way. Well, let me just tell you, you follow Jesus his way or you don't follow him. It's just that simple. We've got couples that are living together right now. I want to tell you, according to the word of God, that's sin. It's sin. It's wrong. You say, well, you know, I, I want Jesus to be in my family. If you want Jesus to be in your family, you better start doing things the way the Lord said, do them in the word of God. That's what you've got to follow. It's not your emotions. It's not your feelings. It's what the Word of God says do. Then we've got to be willing to embrace inconvenience. Have you ever stopped to realize how much inconvenience the birth of Jesus cost Mary and Joseph? I mean, it turned their world upside down. Relationships with his family, his friends, his job, Eventually having to move and start over. You see, serving Jesus is rarely convenient. There are many of you that I'm talking to this morning, and you serve the Lord, and you volunteer at this church, not because it's, it's convenient, but because it's the will of God. Some of you don't, and you've got these excuses. Well, preacher, I work hard all week, and I've got kids. and Yeah, I... I want to have a front row chair seat there when you try to explain that to Mary in heaven. How hard you've got it. People in our church serve because of their love for God, because they're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beyond the Hills 2020, there are going to be more leaders needed than we've ever had before. Some of you, I'm asking, I'm praying. 
secretly praying that God would make you miserable until you get into ministry where you need to be. Now, I know every ministry is not for everybody. I know that. But listen, you ought to be doing something for the glory of God. There ought to be something you could do. Maybe hold a door open. Maybe usher somebody. Maybe drive a bus. Maybe help in a Sunday school class. Maybe do something. You say, well, I love my class so much. I just soak in sour. Now, some of you didn't expect me to say that, but I'm just telling you. If you've got a Sunday school class and you've got folks there that are so faithful in your class, I'm wondering what in the world are you being faithful for? God called you to serve. All right, I'll get off of that. I, 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 uh, I know not every ministry. I, I, are the Spruels in here this morning? They're in children's church, okay. I, I, I'll tell you, I praise God for that family. They, uh, they've adopted two different sets of kids. And uh, in America this year, adoptions have been on the rise, a lot of them. And there's others of you I could call out to. Uh, and abortions have been on the down, downside. We're going to have Abby Johnson in uh, March here. And Abby is the one that worked for Planned Parenthood that was involved in millions of abortions until it came the time that they said, we've got to have you back here in the back room. She said, no, I, I don't do that. I'm just here. I do the paperwork. They said, no, we've got to have you. And she goes back there in the back room and then runs out and has never had another abortion uh, and never been responsible for one since then. And her, I love her theme. I love her theme. You're going to hear it the first part of the year over and over again. She doesn't want to make abortion illegal. She wants to make abortion unthinkable. Boy, that's where we need to be as a church. But this family adopts those kids, and I'm thinking, you know, I see them around here. Snotty nose, and one kid running one place, one kid running another place. And, you know, they just seem like that. I guess they've taken Xanax before they get here, I guess. But they just seem like they're just happy and just, you know. And I'm thinking of the sacrifices that's involved in that. And they do it for one reason, because God told them to do it. Not because it was convenient. Sharing Christ, it's not convenient. You look at your pastor and you say, well, he's supposed to be sharing Christ. Brother Case is supposed to be sharing Christ. You know, I'll go to a pastor's conference this afternoon. There'll be 137 pastors there. And I'll hear guys get up and preach and say, I got on the airplane and I sat next to this young man and led him to the Lord. I, I don't do that. I get on the airplane and say, dear God, don't let nobody be next to me. That's what I do. I'm telling you. If you think that I get my jollies by going around introducing folk, I, that's not me. And yet we do that because that's what God commands us to do. We're to be witnesses wherever we're going. And if we're going to win East Texas to Jesus, it's going to have to be not convenient for us. Getting to know people who are not like you, not like me, boy, hmm. We may have to have some worship music here that somebody don't like. I know that's never happened before, but I'm just telling you it could happen. And the reason you do it and put up with it is because it's not for you. It's for somebody that needs Jesus. It's not convenient. And if I'll just be honest with you. If you're looking for a church to be convenient, you probably need to look somewhere else. 
because we're going to do everything we can to put you to work for the glory of God. Our priority is not our convenience. It's the mission of God. Uh, this last week, I don't, did, did you mention Brother Kenneth Mills? Brother Kenneth Mills, the pastor, really, when this church relocated from Temple downtown over to this area from 1980 to 1987, was a pastor of this church. And we owe that family, him and Carol Ann, a whole lot because they sacrificed a lot. Some of you were here when he was here. His funeral will be Tuesday at 1 o'clock at Oakland Heights. Uh, but we're enjoying some things that others before us did, not because it was convenient, but because they felt like God wanted them to do it. Mm. Let me just touch here just a minute, and then I'll be through. Just try if to hold on. It's not convenient anymore to teach the Bible as the Word of God. It's not convenient. I was listening to a testimony of a real famous preacher yesterday who has admitted now that he believes there's more than one way to go to heaven. That's not convenient. It's not convenient to say that homosexuality is an abomination to God. If you want to know one of my greatest fears, it's the greatest fear that the direction this country has gone into. And I've seen it, you've seen it over the last 20 and 30 years of how we tolerated this and it turned into this. And how we tolerated this and then it turned into this. And now we've gone for homosexuality and we've gone all the way to same-sex marriages and now we've gone all the way to where we're not sure what children are when they're born. Uh, we've got to give them time enough to figure out for themselves whether they're going to be a boy or a girl. Uh, now, let me just tell you this. I'm going to just go ahead and tell you anyway. If, if you think that what we're facing in America is politics, you've missed the whole ball game. You've missed it. Now, I, I know this is not going to float some of your boats, but I'm going to tell you right now. When you become a person who will vote for people that are pro-homosexual, pro-abortion, uh, literally, it is not Republican versus Democrat. It is a satanic, liberal, humanistic group of people that want to take over the United States of America. That's what it is. And all while this is happening, the church has been told, separation of church and state, separation of church and state. Listen, there is no separation. The, the, the state is not supposed to come in here and tell us what to do. But I want to tell you, you better get busy. You better get involved in local things and state things and national things because we're one generation away from seeing everything that some of you fought for in World War II go to pieces while the church sits here inside our walls. Well, that's not in my notes. So four things you see in Joseph here. You see that he is trusting and absolutely obedient to the Lord. He didn't argue with the Lord. The Bible says when the angel told him, the next verse says, and he did what the angel said do. 
completely trust. He accepted a sentence of death. He understood that his whole family was going to disown him. There are people right now, Burkina Faso last week, 34 people killed, murdered because they refused to renounce Jesus Christ. And that same thing may come to America before it's over with. We don't know. We don't know. He also accepted the sentence of death and the sentence of self <coughs> denial, and he was willing to embrace inconvenience. So where does the strength come from? How do, how do you get a guy who's willing to be completely obedient to Christ? Because I want to tell you, that's not your pastor. How do you get a guy who's willing to be self-denial? How do you get a guy who's willing to embrace inconvenience? Where does his strength come from? I want to tell you, I don't believe it's an emotional time with the Lord. I don't think it's an emotional moment of surrender. I believe it's the beginning of a lifestyle. I want to tell you, you know why some people don't serve the Lord in the valley? Because they didn't make up their mind on the mountaintop they were going to do it. Why some people don't serve the Lord when things are going bad? Because when things were going good, they didn't make up their mind. I'm still going to follow Jesus no matter what happens. We all have the capacity to sacrifice. It has to do with our perception or awareness of the rewards. That's why you sacrifice for your children. There's not a decent parent in here that don't want their children to have more than you had. I've heard that all my life. There's not any, oh, my soul, when you talk about, talk about grandchildren, and I don't even have any fathom idea about great-grandchildren. I mean, it's just something to hold. But you sacrifice based on the fact that you know what the reward's going to be. You know what the end's going to be. Where the strength comes from, look at verse 23. Behold, it's a Greek word, idol. It's extremely strong. It's like saying, look here, because when you see this, you'll have the strength to go on and do what God's telling you to do. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the strength comes from the fact that God keeps his promises. Let me tell you something about God. He's not an Indian giver. He's going to keep his promise. This is a quote from a prophecy that Isaiah gave in Isaiah 7, 14. It's actually kind of a strange quote. Ahaz was king. He was a wicked king. Uh, and, and word came that these armies weren't going to destroy him. But because of his wickedness, he didn't want to call on God, didn't figure it'd do any good. But Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, listen, God's not going to let you be destroyed. And it don't have a thing to do with you, Ahaz. It has to do with God promised Abraham he was going to bring a Messiah to his children. That's what it has to deal with. And so when it says a, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, uh, Ahaz doesn't want a word from God because if he gets a word from God, that means he's going to have to do what God said do. See, that's why some folk don't want to hear from God this morning because it's going to change your life. And you'd rather do things your way instead of the way God said do them. Well, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the word virgin in Hebrew can mean two things. It could mean a girl who's never had sex, or it could mean a girl of marriageable age. Hmm. In this context, in the old days, everyone consumed, it just meant a girl of marriageable age. And so a, a young woman's going to conceive, so what? Big deal. 
It's like me saying, I want to prove to you this is how the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Now, how you're going to know it's fulfilled is the birds are going to chirp. You say, well, preacher, the birds are going to chirp anyway. Yeah, they are. But that's how you can prove the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. So for 700 years, that's how they, they thought, well, so the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. So what? But now, now. When Jesus comes on the scene, aha, so that's the prophecy. You see, how we can know that God keeps his promises is because there is a virgin-born Jesus. There is a real Jesus. And so he keeps his promise. Now I know what you were talking about. You see, Ahaz was thinking deliverance from an invading army, but God's promising ultimate delivery from all of our enemies. Hmm. In that moment, behold, Joseph saw that God was faithful to keep his promises, and he'll keep all of his promises today. Hmm. Man, people are asking today, where is God in my life? I had an old preacher correct me a long time ago. <clears throat> I used to say, if the Lord tarries, and he caught me one day and said, you know that's heresy. I said, no, the Lord, if he, if he waits till he comes, he said, the Lord ain't waiting on nobody. Before the foundation of the Lord of the world, the Lord knew when he was going to come again. He's not tarrying. He's not waiting on nobody. Listen, he's got everything mapped out. You know why we don't think the Lord is real sometimes? Because he doesn't do things the way we wanted him to do them. And I'm telling you, as far as he's concerned, Joseph was able to have this kind of faith because he knew the word of God. A lot of folks waver today because they don't know the word of God. His promises are real. But let me give you the second thing that's so neat here. It's a remarkable name, that name of Jesus. We sang about it, precious name, oh, how sweet. The baby was given two names, and this confuses maybe some children because his name is Emmanuel and his name is Jesus, and you wonder what is, what is the, the, the meaning of all that. Uh, you know, uh, the, the first name Jesus indicates what he does. The second name, Emmanuel, indicates who he was. When you talk about Jesus in the Hebrew, it means God saves. He saves us. When you talk about Emmanuel, he means God with us. So in those two names, Joseph got a picture of the glory of God. The most foundational thing in the Christian life is that Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. You say, well, explain. I can't explain that to you. You just have to figure it out. Trust, trust it by faith. That's all I know. I just know that God is still God, and yet he became man. You, you never should forget this one important fact. No one made Jesus go to the cross. He could have stopped this charade anytime he'd have wanted to. It was a mock trial. It was a... Mm, it was a mess, but he did it because of you and me. You see, he had to be God for two reasons, because the only one capable to save us is God. The message of the Old Testament is salvation is of the, of the Lord. It's of God. 
wouldn't it have been nice if God would have said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to contract that out. I'm going to let somebody else do that. He didn't do that. He did it himself. And the whole point in God's creation is to have a relationship with us. Now listen to how it starts, and I'm almost through. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. Eve said this, God walks with us. When God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he did so with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the children of Israel said this, the Lord is before us and behind us. And then God led them to build a tabernacle where his glory came to dwell. And they said, the God is in the midst of us. And then Jesus is born and the angel says, call him Emmanuel because God is with us. And then when Jesus ascended up into heaven, the Holy Spirit came on the first disciples and they said, God is in us. So we've gone all the way from God walks with us down to the Lord is before us and behind us, down to God is in the midst of us, down to God is with us, down to the point that God is in us. He's in us. (laughs) That's what Christmas is all about. You want to know how you can surrender to the Lord? God in us. God in us. You weren't created to serve a distant God. Man, you were created to serve a God that wants to talk with you and fellowship with you and walk with you like a friend. The Great Commission ends with these words, Behold, I am with you always, always. Jesus, when Joseph is seeing this, he brings both of those disciplines together, the discipline of the joy to the world and also the discipline of the difficulty of serving Jesus. He brings them together. Now listen, and I'm through. This is the important thing. I could have told you this and not even preached this sermon. The only thing that will give you the power to forsake everything is to see the joy of the treasure is worth more than the pain of the sacrifice. The joy of the treasure. And to see that means God gave it all up. If you're here this morning without Christ, God gave it all up for you. For you. We don't know much more about Joseph. Uh, That's the last time he appears here in the Gospel of Matthew. By the time Jesus is an adult, he's not around. Most likely, he would have probably died during that time. One last question, and I'm through. What would have happened had Joseph not chosen this route? What what would have happened had Joseph said, I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to not believe the angel. I'm going to go ahead and divorce Mary and, and cast her aside. I'm going to marry a different girl. Hey, he may have got that storybook wedding. He may have had a tremendous uh, shop building uh, cabinets and all of that, but he'd have missed out on Jesus. He'd have missed out on Jesus. Let Let me just share this. When you choose the easy life, when you choose not to forgive somebody, that's the easy way out. When you choose not to sacrifice That's the easy way out. And you can do that. But you're going to miss Jesus in the meaning of it. You're going to miss Jesus.
Joseph life tells us that Jesus is worth anything we go through. He's worth pain. He's worth sacrifice. He's worth shame. He's worth shattered dreams. Even if it comes to it and it involves death, he's still worth death. He's worth death. Amen? That's hard to, to comprehend, but that's how much our Lord loves us. Father, we're so grateful for your mercy and your grace. We realize that we don't deserve it, but you love us enough to die on Calvary for us. And, Lord, we thank you for that. But most of all, I thank you that the promises that you made, your death, your burial, your resurrection are all true. And we don't have to wonder about them. We can know that. And I'm asking you today, Lord, for those in this place that don't know you as their personal Savior, May today they be willing to give up their life and come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there are those in this place today that need a church home, and you've spoken to their hearts, and this is where you want them to be. I pray today would be their day that they said, all right, Lord, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. I might not know where it leads. I might not have all the answers, but I'm going to follow you by faith. I'm going to trust you and be obedient to you. Lord, would you have your way in this place today? Don't let a one of us leave here without a relationship with you as our Savior and Lord in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me as Brother Aaron?